Yeah, we love Ted Lasso. And this is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. I am your host, Coach Castleton. And with me are Coach Bishop. What's good? And of course, our boss, Emily Chambers. I'm not responsible for any of this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just set some expectations right off the bat. This is not your half hour, dip your toe in the pool podcast. This is the audio version of a deep dive. I mean, is it safe to say we are evangelists for this show? Is it safe to say we're madly in love with this show? That it's already one of our favorite shows of all time? Is that is that a safe way to put it, Coach? Uh, absolutely. I'm seriously considering asking this show to prom. Don't tell me. <laughs> <laughs> we love it. And we feel like a show like this, you want to take your time with and you really want to sort of dig in deep and, and suck the marrow out of it. It is <laughs> so impressive. It is so well-written. It is so well-run. It is so well-directed. It is so well-acted. It is so well-shot. So <laughs> great sound cue. I mean, we're going to go through this bad boy, and, and we're going we're gonna to take it all apart in the best possible way and deconstruct what it's attempting to do and what it is successful in doing, and it is a remarkable, remarkable show. So, Ted Lasso is the pebble that's thrown into the pond, and every single ripple, every single ripple touches the people around him, and he makes everyone better. And as we go through the show, we're going to see it doesn't matter who he comes in contact with, they get better. Let's jump right in to the opening of the show. We open right away on on the, the guys playing soccer and the, the camera shifts to not Ted, but right to Rebecca. And there is a, 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 a very sort of clear message there, I think. And this might not be at least the season one might be even though it's named Ted Lasso, this might be a show about about Rebecca Welton. I hope so. I love her. I know, I know that in a lot of ways she is the antagonist and she's doing a lot of underhanded things, but I don't care. I love her and I would like her hair and also her upper body <laughs> routine. And she, she, she is who I would like to become when I am a grown up. Yeah. She's stunning. Boss, do you know who, um, do you know who the actress is? Have you, uh, have you seen who that actor is? I haven't. She was on Game of Thrones. What? <laughs> I know. And and I almost don't want to tell you who she was because, you know, you may never be able to see her uh, the same way again. But um, it's just a testament to how stunning of, of an actor she is. Anyway, we open up um, God Save the Queen by the Sex Pistols. Right away, I'm into the music choices. Now, she's she's staring at the at the painting for her fifth anniversary. I don't know if you, got, if you guys remember. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. offers it to... Higgins. Uh, Rebecca Walton's played by Hanning, Hannah Waddingham, and Higgins is played by Jeremy Swift. Um, I, I love Higgins so much. It's, it's, 
It's just mind-boggling. And I think Jeremy Swift, I he has such a hard role. It is so difficult to do the things he's doing and do them well and make them not sticky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's he's been brilliant. So we meet Higgins. Uh, the first thing we see of Higgins is him getting in the way of the movers. He's like, ooh, ooh, and gets in their way, gives them a goofy smile. And we see an insert of the paper on, on uh, Rebecca's desk saying he gets the bimbos, she gets the bozos. So we know, okay, there's some divorce thing. And we move in to see Higgins as he messes up, calls her Mrs. Mannion right off right, the bat, right. corrects himself to Miss Welton. And then we have the scene where she summons the current manager, George Cartrick, in and, and deals with him. What was your sense of that opening? I wanted to, to, to double back, um, in responding to the opening to something that, that you said, boss, which is that you want to be her. You want to be Rebecca when you grow up. And I think she is a woman. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like she is a woman. Like it, like, <laughs> like how often do we start a show there? Period. I actually, this is getting into some of my, you know, film school nerdy stuff. But I made the, the, the argument to Coach Castleton. I made the argument. I think she's actually, actually the protagonist. I think, yes, she's the, she, she is the one we're really watching her journey because Ted's going to be Ted. Ted's going to be Ted in his marriage. Ted's going to be Ted if he meets some black girl playing soccer in the park. Like Ted's just going to be Ted. You said you want this from her, you want that from her. I just, I kind of just want Rebecca. And I don't think my wife has a problem with it, uh, if I'll be honest. <laughs> if I'll be honest. No, absolutely. I think Ted, the show is clearly about Ted Lasso, because it's called Ted Lasso. Sure, sure. Um, I think that if Ted were watching the show, what he would say is that there aren't actually any villains. There are just people who haven't gotten to be as good as they can be yet. And I so think in, you're right. I think in that way, yeah, like, it's also that I don't not understand Rebecca's motivation. Mm -hmm. I mean, her husband was cheating on her for a bunch of years. She herself doesn't care that much about the soccer club. Like, sticking it to your ex-husband because he was a jerk does not seem unreasonable. And she might be doing it in ways that are deceptive, but people around her have been deceptive. Like, Mm -hmm. I totally get where she's coming from. I don't want her to succeed necessarily because that seems like it would be bad for the show. But if she were my friend, I don't know. I might advise against this, but I wouldn't think like, oh, you're a horrible person. Right. Well, she's clearly been wrong. And, and, and we, we, we set this up. The show sets it up really, really well by saying, you know, when George is fired, he takes a shot at her. What's worse your husband cheats on you or you being the last to know. Just a dirty, nasty man on his way out the door. And, you know, there's something about the way uh, the grace and the strength with, with which she handles these things, with these these uh, insults and attacks, you just, uh, it's so remarkable. And, and how she holds it all together, there is something just really compelling about that, I think. But it's not a caricature, which I also like. There's some pain there, right? But, but I, but I, and I think that makes those moments all the more powerful. I think we've all kind of seen the like, she's icy because she's been hurt. And, and, you know, okay, whatever. But to me, this is a more interesting look at that where we really get into 
But seriously, she was humiliated. And can we really take a moment to think about what that would feel like? And I, I'm with you, boss. I'm like, you know, I get it. <laughs> and, and, and if and if she hadn't hired Ted, I might be rooting for her to destroy the team. Yeah. We don't know this, though. We don't know at this point. We don't know that she's been humiliated. We don't know. But but we can get behind how she fires George, I think. Oh, 100%. Um, when she right, references right, 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 his right, right. casual mono- misogyny, I was like, <laughs> I know it's a big word. Ask one of your daughters what it means. I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. I'm like slow clapping. Yes. Um, and then she's like, you know, she hides behind the protocol of it could be any one number of reasons. You know, it's not a good team, that sort of thing. I've had to look at your testicles. <laughs> Liam and Noel, that was ad-libbed. The, the original joke in the script was she sees his testicle and she says, oh, six more weeks of winter. There's a groundhog day joke. <laughs> but they went, they went with the Oasis joke, which I can respect. But then she embraces her power, which you just, mm-hmm. like, so many shows you just want, like, yes, mm-hmm. do this. And she's like, if I'm really being honest, I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's it. That's like... That is gold. And so it's really, really easy to get behind her. Right now, um, we're at the point where in the show where she fires George, there's a joke about him getting her salad. I, I'm, Higgins asks, okay, uh, he's blown away by the fact that, that the firing has happened in front of his eyes. Do I make a list of new managers? And she says, no, I got this covered. Now we cut to Scott Van Pelt and the great sports center scene, which was like, I mean, perfect is perfect allowed. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean like, it is perfect. apparently because it was. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the Wichita, Wichita State Shockers, which is so funny. They haven't. I don't know if you guys know anything about the Wichita State Shockers. That was a football program that folded in 1987. <laughs> they, haven't, <laughs> they haven't had a fo- haven't had a football program since then. Boss, you have a favorite part of this, which is I think the celebratory dance. Yes. Well, it's the celebratory dance, but it's also what Van Pelt says about the celebratory dance, because this being our first glimpse of Ted, he isn't, it's a celebratory moment, but this isn't him being a victorious coach or being carried around on their shoulders. He is dancing and he is being goofy and he's not dancing particularly well. Like it is fun to watch. <laughs> that's, but That's very kind, boss. That's a very kind... <laughs> Description. You're you're a wonderfully human being right now for that. Have you ever seen that before, boss? Did you have, do you remember that from um from SNL? The oh God, yes. Sketch. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that one I, will get I, me I was every so time. impressed. I was so impressed with with Sudeikis when he was in that tracksuit and the gold chain and the and the he had his hair like in a I don't know like a curl a curly wig kind of <laughs> in that sketch. It was so good. Oh God, um, and he would just dance for like six straight minutes doing that. I'm like, God, he is in amazing shape. Like, my God, that's a lot of dancing. But yeah, he, he reprised that here. It was hysterical. You have to see it to understand it. And even when you see it, I don't necessarily think understanding <laughs> is what we're doing. Exactly. That's And you don't realize it. Believe me, guys, you got to rewatch the episode at least four times. But watching it the fourth time... <laughs> That sort of sets up the premise for the entire episode is that even when you're seeing Ted do the things that he's doing, we're so not used to seeing strong male characters being willing to make fools of themselves that you don't understand exactly what's going on. It seems like he's the butt of the joke, but he's not because he loves his kids and his kids love him so much that this is just him being pure joy. And instead, it sort of looks like he's being a doofus. And then it helps lay the foundation for the rest of the episode where 
you find out he isn't what he seems to be. And just to mark this episode, Coach, this is when you were in. You saw that dance and you said, I am in. That's it? That was it. All the way in. All the way in. Because, because again, it was, you know, just that obvious joy and love. Like, when he does that dance, you don't see the other – you don't see the players snickering, right? You You don't see anything like that. What you see is them loving it. Go, lasso, go, lasso, go. And then he stops with that pose, which was just, I mean, <laughs> tears, tears down my face. And and then they all go berserk. They lose it. They go nuts. And I just think like, oh my God, like at, the, at its best, right? Like any team you're on, whether it's a sports team or otherwise, like at its best, at its apex, that's what it is. That moment where you're all in, you just love each other for like who you are. If if he took dance lessons, that would ruin that moment, right? It's the <laughs> look at how right, he dances. Right. That is ridiculous. And they just love him for it. Um yeah, I was right, in. So that was give, it. I was like, me, I get this. Give me guy. some give me some words that describe that apex. That like what are you trying to achieve there? Is it purity? Is it togetherness? Is it acceptance? Like yeah. what is that moment? Yeah, it, you know, it's it's love, and I don't want to. There's something we're going to see in a little bit, so I don't want to take too much of it. Too you know, too much out of that. We can come back to it, but I love like that's the word. Like he, that's what came. That's what hit me, and how I would have described it in real time. It was clear to me from that moment. He loves those kids. And they love him. Like, I don't know anything else. I don't know how they want. I don't know who they played. I don't know anything. But I watched that. And I'm like, oh, th- like he got them there. Did you get that, boss? I did. I think because it was so early, my perception of it might have been changed by watching the episodes after that and then mm. rewatching that episode so much. I, when I first watched it, I felt like it might have been a little bit cringy for me because I was mm. worried about how he might think he seemed on national TV like this. So the I think when you first see it, you are supposed to be a little bit worried about it, and it's not until later that you figure out like, oh no no no, this is because he did a great job. This isn't because he's right. looking like a fool. This is because he did. No, you're hundred percent right. I Good love point. that you said that because okay, this is something where the show. This is why the show is so, so skilled, so successful, so smart. Okay, so that's your your beauty shot of the first time we ever see Ted, uh, is him making this cra- doing this crazy celebration. And the next time we see him, he's coming out of a, a bathroom a lavatory on an airplane, which is, which is like not the most noble entrance. I thought it was really cool mm-hmm. as a choice. He goes and he's, he is interrupted right away by the character of Tommy, played by Bill Skinner. Who I think this is his first credit. So good job, Bill Skinner. I thought he did a good job. Nice. And he sh- and he basically makes fun of Ted. Is this you? Uh, we get the ussy scene. Uh, Mate, you're a legend uh, for doing something so stupid. <laughs> and and we get the the line. I've heard that tune before. Yet here I am still dancing. Mm-hmm. What did that? How did that register for you, boss? To be perfectly honest, I don't know if it did at first. The first time I watched it. Because I was thrown off both by the accent and the mustache. 
Because yeah, no, no. The <laughs> accent's thick. He says, he, right? He says the first thing you ever hear him say is, "I believe it is." Like it's a, it's like a. You're like, wait, whoa, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a choice, baby. He means um, it. He he is dedicating to it, right? So and super super so, twangy, and yeah, no, you're right. I did notice the ussy and like his interaction with the guy. That part made me think I might be wrong about judging how perceptive he is of other people. Like, it's not that he doesn't know what other people think of him. It's just that he's convinced them to think well of him, even when he's doing a stupid dance. And I think that he does show the person, uh, personability with Tommy, even though it's only a few seconds scene. Right. And, and he was not, this wasn't his first rodeo. He has had this interaction before he like sort of knew what this was. And he handled it with grace and he sent the guy on his way, but it wasn't, he wasn't offended at all. And so I was like, wait, okay. He really has heard that tune before. Mm -hmm. And then we get into the part that I think is, so I I was scratching my head at this point, watching the show going, Hmm, like what, what's actually, who is this guy? And then we have him turn around and we introduce uh, coach beard played by Brendan hunt. Um, Oh my God, Coach Beard! Can we just get a second about <laughs> say how amazing Coach Beard is? What do you think of Coach Beard, Coach? Great character. What I love about what I love about him is just the facts, but not in a way I've seen it before. I've seen that kind of like nutty character right before, and I've seen the the one the the character who studies everything and knows all the ins and outs and knows every detail and, and studies for the test. I'm not sure I've ever seen those two characters brought together this way. And the other thing I love about the character is he provides an unbelievable look into Ted because he just ex- like he just accepts him. And they have this exchange that's, a, that's more than a little bizarre on the plane and Ted's saying, you know, the, the Ted things. And Beard just kind of rocks with it, but he does react. I mean, right? It's not that he lives fully in Ted's full universe, but he's got a passport to go there and he knows how it works. But yeah, I just, I, I just found that collision between the, the hard studying assistant coach who knows all the ins and outs and that sort of like wacky character with the hair. I mean, for him, it's on his chin, but still, um, <laughs> I've never seen those two things brought together. So anyway, I, I love Beard and was in from the beginning. And their interaction, they are just both fully themselves. They both make room for the other one to be fully themselves. And watching them do that, I think you learn a lot about both of them. Yeah, totally agree. I think that that could have become a very easy character to make sort of a a Ted devotee. Mm -hmm. uh, Like a sycophant, right? Yeah, that he's just there just to do whatever Ted wants. And he's not. He's a partner in crime. Mm-hmm. He doesn't think Ted is perfect. He just thinks Ted is a pretty good dude. Like yes. you can tell that they genuinely like each other, but there's also. It, having they've done, the, they've done this before. You mm. can tell they've done it before. They've they done know, it before. They know the, the, yeah. And it not only says something about Ted's character, but also about his professional abilities because coach is going to be there to vouch for him. Like how coach beard is going to show up and move to England to coach a soccer club because he knows that Ted knows what he's doing. There's a safety in working with someone that you accept completely and trust. 
I know I wouldn't have done this podcast with with many other people <laughs> besides the two of you. But I, but I know I know that in general. Um, so I have a I have four kids, and my oldest is on the spectrum. And Coach Beard has a little spectrumy stuff to him that mm. I love, and it's just like this thorough. Like my son, uh, he won't dip his toe in any water when it comes to like learning a subject. He is either fully in or not in at all, and it cracks me up. Like coaches like reading every text on it and learning the history of soccer and coach beard is just johnny on the spot he Mm -hmm. he just sort of he takes care of the things that ted doesn't take care of and ted takes care of the things that coach beard doesn't take care of and they have a yin and yang and it works and it's like can you imagine like coach beard going to work for bobby knight or you know bill parcells or you know it's just there's a safety in and a trust that he has with uh, with Ted, which is just, I think, amazing. Well, I mean, I'm getting where I got uh, enough gray in my beard that I, I do a little bit of mentoring, if you want to call it that, or whatever. Just sharing with some coaches who were, you know, a little newer to it and younger than me. And one of the things that I learned from some folks who mentored me that I share is, look, man, don't coach the sport, coach the kids. What I found interesting when I watched the two of them on the plane having their conversation, one's reading, you know, the Dharma bums. And I had to go and look and figure out what that was all about. And that here's this book about the pursuit of truth, right? And this Buddhist journey if, uh, of sorts. And the other one's reading the ins and outs of, you know, what's going on on this field. I thought, oh, they've got it all covered. Like, yeah. No, no, no. Like they, they got they, it. They, they got it all. Like, they share the load. Man. Yeah. And it's so, it's yeah, so yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. So then they have this moment, which I love. Absolutely love. And I was like, this is just smart writing. This is just smart writing. This is a veteran showrunner. Bill Lawrence just knows, knows what he's doing. And he has coach turn around and look at Beard. And he says, are we nuts for doing this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Because so many shows don't do that. And then you sit there wondering, like, does he realize how ridiculous this is? You know, just like right. that moment. And they completely deflate that balloon right away. And Coach Beard goes, yeah, yeah, this is nuts. Like, right, like, right away. <laughs> yes. Yes. Like, right. there is no doubt. We understand. Okay. So I say, okay, great. Now we understand what the what the parameters of it. They also know that this is a little wacky. They understand what's happening. And and then is the line where I, I, I don't know if it was when the, when the show actually hooked me. But it was something that made me like tilt my head like a dog. Uh, Coach Beard says, you got to get some sleep. Ted turns around and then he turns around quickly and he says, hey, if we see each other in our dreams, let's goof around a little bit and pretend like we don't know each other. I loved it. I also, I don't understand why grown men aren't goofier with each other. Mm. Like, go ahead and goof around. I I know my girlfriends and I, when we make plans or want to, you know, when we get to hang out again, um, right. we would say, are you free to play on Friday? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand why men don't do that. Mm-hmm. If you see each other in your dreams, do please goof around a little bit. And also in real life, maybe goof around a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's so, it was like in retrospect, my favorite moment of their friendship, maybe in the entire show. And also that Beard was just like, yeah, I guess we could do that. You know yeah, that he didn't right want away. to. You know that right that wouldn't away. have been his idea. But if Ted wants him to, he's going to do sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Okay, stranger. That's what he says. Okay, like he's he's on. He's he's in. And you know, you're st- you're you're bumping into something that I thought was so yeah, interesting. Is um, my better half, Juliana? She says she's like trying to figure out why I love this show so much. And she said, I think it's that you and your friends see mm-hmm. a male avatar that resembles you for the first time. Yes, 
right. very first time on TV, you see a man that is trying to be as evolved as you guys are trying. Absolutely. I think, I think that's spot on. And I, just, there's a, there's a version of this show that maybe we still like where Beard goes, shut up, weirdo. Right. And we go, Oh, that's so funny. He calls them weirdo. They get along. It's great. You know, we love it. You know, I call my friends idiots all the time, but he doesn't say that. It's not Abbott and Costello. It's not, no, not, not at all. So I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really connecting to the point that you made boss around saying this is looking to a new way of being even around each other. Right. Like I don't have to say you're, I don't have to say you're an idiot to have some fun with it and move on. Like if you're the kind of person who wants to make that comment or that joke or who genuinely thinks I've had a lucid dream before and I may bump into you and just in case let's make this agreement, then cool, man. Fine. Yeah. There's a moment in that, in that interaction where, where they talk about um, the into touch thing. If I sneak it into a thing, you got to pay me five bucks Mm -hmm. and they do a shake and it's got to be the worst shake I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. It's two fingers on one finger. Like, it's just like it's the least masculine shake I've ever seen in my life, and they were both like, "Yeah, cool." Like that's mm-hmm. it, it counts as a shake. I was like, I was, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm like, I don't know. I was raised in a way where it's like you firm handshake, young man, and and I'm like, oh my god, like I'm so impressed by just like, yeah, well, it's kind of a little fish, couple fish hands together, and we knock it out. It still counts as a deal, and they're both ready to move on. I was like, oh my god, something about these two guys. You just, they just love it. You just led yeah. me to something, Coach. I think the show in general leads us to, but what that relationship specifically shows us is what happens when manhood isn't performative. The point is Ooh, we're, sh- like we're agreeing. The point isn't which one of us has the firmer grip. When I met my now father-in-law, I was aware, like, as we approached one another, that I got to make this handshake count, right? right? Like, I knew I had, like, so what, what? Like, I could have been the most awful human being who ever lived. Like, why would he judge me by the handshake and why would I be using it, right? And and they they just dispense with it. I know you're a man. And I know you're a man and we don't even make the same kinds of choices at all or whatever it may be, but it, it's not performative. It's, it's real. It's substantial. It's real. It's between them. And they don't, it doesn't matter what it looks like from the outside. And if the kid with the ussy thinks we're idiots, good for him. He should go live a great life. You know, the weirdest part, I'm sure if anybody that knows me personally is listening to this and I, Hope not, because I don't want to have to talk to him about it later. But <laughs> if any of you know me, the, like, I am the person in the group who will roast my friends as a sign of affection. Like, the idea that these two guys genuinely care about each other and are kind to each other and affectionate even in their own ways shouldn't be a thing that appeals to me at all. I am... a prick sort of in a lot of ways <laughs> and i am not overly kind even to the people that i like a lot <laughs> so the, the fact that they're able to do it in a way that not only do i not pull back from but i actually really enjoy means that they're doing something really right like i i don't know exactly what it is yet but they're doing something really right but see i don't think ted would begrudge you the joke that's what i think oh, is his yeah. brilliance the character we meet there, right? I don't think that 
he would say, well, young man, it's not very nice to tell someone who just got a job that they <laughs> are an idiot, right? I mean, like, he doesn't, you know, like, they're going to murder you or whatever. Like, he doesn't, it's like, that's who you are, and that's great, and you use a term, ussy, never heard of it, fine. It's not, beard should be more like me. The, the lasso way isn't everyone act like Ted. What I can see is it's everybody be themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that becomes more apparent when he begins working with other people who are considerably less like him than mm-hmm. Beard is. Right, 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 right. Right. And he, and he just, but him and Beard know, okay, we have a strategy. We will just win them over. It's just, it's a, it's going to happen. You know, it, it's, a, it's a side note and maybe a minor note, but I think like in the world of toxic masculinity, saying to another man, if we see each other in our dreams might like, key some homophobia mm. or some weirdness mm-hmm. and i'm like no, there's nothing of that and you're just like, it's so refreshing it's so charming it's so great and you're like you know every every terrible company i've worked for over my over the course of my life has had a terrible person at the at the head of it mm. and, and a fish stinks from the head and it's like if these guys are the head of an organization how good could it be if this is like the core that that we're working with absolutely one of the things that becomes more apparent later in the episode and then in subsequent episodes after that, but Ted's best trait in a lot of ways is that it makes it easy for an individual to decide that they were wrong about doing something the way that they were and change how they were doing it. He doesn't force anybody into doing anything. He doesn't try to overpower anybody or outwill them. He just allows them to do things in a way that's more productive for everyone on the team. And as a person, that's an amazing trait to have and not one that I have. But (laughs) in terms of knowing how to get each person to do that, he doesn't need to be studying the soccer books because what he is doing is figuring out how to coach each individual player and make them work better. And it's so nice to see a guy in a position of power approaching leadership in that way. He's not going to try to get anybody to bend to his will, but he's also not going to back down from a confrontation when those need to happen. It's great. Yes. Have I mentioned I really like this show? Absolutely. <laughs> well, it keeps coming back to it not being about him, right? So, like, who are you going to fight? I think that's part of the brilliance yeah. of it. Maybe, you know, maybe you should use us. Maybe you shouldn't. Yeah. What matters to me is that we have this nice interaction or that I, you know, you get to tell me what you want and I will respond and we'll have this conversation and move on. It's not if you try to fight them there. Right. If you, you say "ussy" and he says, oh, we call them selfies. That could be an argument. I could I could name 10 of my friends off the top of my head right now where that could <laughs> end up with somebody being arrested <laughs> as they deplayed. <laughs> And instead, he's like, all right, cool. Like, you know, I I just learned a new word. I just think it's hard to have a fight by yourself and he's not there to fight you because it's not about him. It's about whatever's best in that moment. Ted watches his, we see the picture of his family, uh, his his wife, Michelle, and his son on his phone. And he, and he just stares at them as everyone else is sleeping on the plane and he's not sleeping. And at first I'm like, oh God, are they dead? Uh, But then he's smiling. So I'm like, okay, they're probably not dead. Then we get the title sequence, which is him. In a stadium where everything is turning from from Chelsea blue to Man U red, and the the line uh, from Marcus Mumford's jingle is, uh, "Yeah, it might be all that you get. Yeah, I guess this might well be it." You guys read anything into that? 
I think that it is one of those lines that is significantly more optimistic than it seems like it should be. Colin Hayes has a song that was on Scrubs um, to tie in Bill Lawrence. And the line is, perhaps this is as good as it gets. There's a lot of ways that you could read that that would make it sound horribly depressing, like looking around at your life and thinking, well, this is as good as it gets. But it's said in such a hopeful way that it feels like one of those things where you're like, maybe you need to take a stop, take a second to stop and appreciate what you do have, because this might be as good as it gets. And so I feel like there's a play that you could do on the Mumford song where it's kind of the same thing. This might be it. If this is it, what is it? What are you doing? What do we have? In the spirit of the of the show, I think it, there's a difference between settling and acceptance, especially since he's reading the Kerouac and there's some Buddhism kind of just floating around in, in, in the show. I, there's something very powerful, the whole thing about what is suffering, resisting what is. And yeah, me be all that, you know, be all that you get. Yeah, I guess this might well be it. It could sound like settling, but it also could be acceptance. It could be this is the reality. The reality is I'm here now. I'm not a football coach. I'm a football coach. <laughs> My family's, you know, across the pond there, as they call it. This is this is what is. So what are we going to do from here? Right. That's what's interesting. What do we do? Once we accept that this is what it is, then what do we do? How do we choose? Every interaction, every choice. And then that's where the, the whole thing sort of wins you over is the choices keep being like very surprising to start before you get used to the choices and before you expect the Ted choices, you're just like, wow, it's like charming. So they arrive at the airport. Finally, they arrive at the airport. Ted doesn't have any, uh, didn't get any sleep. They meet Ollie, uh, played by Jimmy Akambola. Hi, my name's Ted. What's yours? Uh, they won't let Ollie take their bags, which I thought was kind of cool. We mm-hmm. packed them. We'll carry him. They stop over at the Tower Bridge. Ted says, uh, makes a we're not in Kansas anymore joke. And the first time he said that outside of Kansas, any terrible dad joke, it's not the London Bridge because this one's still up. At that point, I'm like, oh, God, please don't have this be just like a terrible dad joke show. Then we arrive at Nelson Road, the dog track, the, the home stadium. Something I absolutely loved is the coaches were drawn Mm-hmm. to the field they were drawn to it it called out to them mm-hmm. and they were pulled magnetically to the field itself did that uh that make sense to you coach it did and i loved you know again building on who they are and the relationship i mean it's <clears throat> we've heard this said about different places in sports you know and, and announcers will say hallowed ground right i mean whether you're talking about you know lambo or whatever hallowed ground and they treat it like hallowed ground. I mean, if you think about just the tone, the the, the way they're talking, they don't, they're almost not full voice. I mean, we're right. We're in the, we're in the place now. Like this is, this is the, this it's, is where it's it goes. The, it's the cathedral. It is yeah. truly. And, and I, I, I did think that was a powerful, it shows where it is for them. For some, I know sports, you know, who cares, but. I think these moments that you can create through sports, there's sort of a laboratory kind of deal with it. And I do think there's a sanctity to it when it's done right. It's one of the things that drives me nuts when I see people, in my opinion, not doing it right. Right. I mean, just this is a place where all the ways in which the world can be unfair and tilted and this and that it's like we get 11, 
you get 11. The field is literally level and let's see what happens. And I think they're, they're kind of coming to the, to the field with that, that kind of reverence. That's probably the word I should have used. That kind of reverence, I think sets us up for the fact that he does respect this. They've not done this on a lark, right? It's not like, yeah, we're going to get run out of Wichita anyway. Getting's good. You know, it's, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know? well, I guess we're stuck here. Right. I don't know. No, it's, <laughs> it's like, all right. Okay, here we go. So anyway, and I love, you know, the metaphor line. I just got their exchanges are brilliant. We talk about how, you know, Ted's not dumb. Beard isn't dumb either. Mm-mm. He picks up on it. Feels different, Coach. I mean, the same but different. Beard says metaphor, and he says, you know it, baby. Now, Boss, did you uh, play any sports ever growing up? So I sw- I ran track very briefly and didn't do that very well. And then I swam in high school. But we were also very bad. There were a lot of us that were learning how to do flip turns at the first practice. Like we were not a good swimming team. I actually did stats for my high school wrestling team, which has led to a a lifelong love of short squat men, nearly naked, (laughs) rolling around on the ground together. Like I just, I love it so much. And there's the, the, the reverence for the cathedral and the field and the everything, like being outside in a giant soccer field is amazing. But there's also a smell of wrestling mats and diluted bleach that will bring me back to my happy place in a second. Like, it's so good. It's so That's amazing. That's really funny because I, I was a wrestler and <gasps> that I know that exact smell. Yes. And, and it brings me back to sucking weight and just, just... Being in a being in a shower room at yeah. six forty three a.m. wearing plastic bags and holding like a rubber jump rope and oh, and like God. I have like eleven minutes to burn off four pounds. It's the worst sport in so many ways, and I love it so much, so so much. It's- no, it's brilliant. It's an amazing sport. It just takes. Oh my God, my God, it takes everything. It's so such a such a tough sport. Amazing sport. Well worth it. But oof, man. Yeah. I, I know that smell though. I know what you're talking about. Love that I, smell. I was gonna say that the um I used to play I was a good athlete when I was younger and until I sort of wrecked one of my ankles. But I I used to play soccer all around the world and um what? I remember that exact feeling of I, I did it in a couple stadiums and I'm getting old so I don't remember the names of the stadiums anymore. But I remember one time in Australia, walking into a stadium in Melbourne, where I was like, you just kind of blown away by the size of the stadium and had that feeling, you know, looking around like, oh, this is where we're going to play tonight. Like, we're going to have a game in here. I'm going to be on this field at shooting at the goal. You, you have those feelings. You go onto the field and it's just like, you know, you can almost hear the angels. It's, it's a moment. And so I loved when they did that. Then we have the intro of Nate the Great, played by Nick Mohammed. Uh, shoes them off the field, then walks them to meet Rebecca and asks... Nate, his name, which we alluded to. No one ever asks my name, he says. And then I, I forget which one of you was saying, maybe, maybe coach. Mm-hmm. He'll, he'll just sit there and wait. He sits there and wait mm-hmm. and waits for him. And he says, oh, yeah, uh, Nathan. And there's a terrible hot dog joke. Great. <laughs> so great. He's like, I love this kid. Love him. Nate walks into Rebecca's office to introduce Rebecca. This is like I started to really get won over by the show at this point. Um, walks in. Uh, as soon as she turns around, genial as can be, hello, like really nice, 
the nicest possible sound that can come out of Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And Nate <laughs> starts stuttering, just chokes up and runs, like runs for his life. And the coaches see him run. They they watch him go. Everyone's just kind of like, what was that? Uh, Ted introduces himself. And in the background, as Ted says, hi, I'm, I'm Coach Lasso. Uh, Nate comes back in the background, turns around and runs back down the stairs. Yes. I was roaring <laughs> laughing. Yes. I'm like, this is brilliant. So like unbelievably funny you get you i mean you you already kind of had nate to a certain degree but to me i'm like all right got it i thought it was the the contrast really made it all the funnier i want to know your name i'm going to create a joke around your name point of connection right all this stuff and meanwhile the existing organization that we're stepping into is one where when the boss turns around the manager essentially we 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 learn better language for it later but the manager turn literally just turns and runs in sheer fright i'm going to i'm going to lead us into what happened right behind that cuz for me it's a, a critical moment for me of of get going i get this show is when um he says you must be miss miss welton and she says oh please call me rebecca miss welton's my father and he says, if that's a joke, I love it. If not, I cannot wait to unpack that with you. Now, <laughs> having done diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting in my lifetime, again, hilarious, right? And, and But it also said yeah. so much about him. Like, he's learned and he's like, I get the joke if it's a joke. Also, I get that it might not be a joke and there's a sensitivity to be had here. I mean, what coach character who, have we ever met? who we would assume when they were forced to go to diversity training or had to be forced to go to diversity training, that they paid enough attention that they would walk away with that level of sensitivity and how about that? How about go. that verb? You imagine Bill Belichick saying he wants <sighs> to unpack, unpack the joke. Unpack that on. with you. Like, Come what on. are we talking about right now? It was so good. Yeah. So I just thought that was like a phenomenal, again, a joke that came out of character. It wasn't just, oh, we're hilarious. Watch us do our thing. Like it was perfectly what that character should be saying that made it so funny. And I think that it's not just that he would have the known sensitivity to be aware that he might need to unpack that later, that he wouldn't just brush it off as a joke, but also that he genuinely wants to know. Part Mm -hmm. of that is that he... Mm -hmm. He knows that he needs to be aware of that situation, that that might require additional sensitivity. But he also does want to know yeah. if his her mom is, uh, it, her dad is Mrs. Walton. Like, good call. Good call, Ted. You well, should is, want to know. Is that, is that Ted's superpower is, is turning small interactions into important interactions? I mean, is that one of his big skills? Everybody, I mean, if you look at it, we just take a step back and we say, okay, everybody on this show gets a character arc. Except for Ted and Beard, maybe maybe they get one to a to a lesser degree, but they are the catalyst. They are every time Ted walks into a room, no matter who he meets, Nate the Great or Higgins or who, whomever, that person has now begun their character arc. And hmm. once he is in the picture, everybody is then set on a in a different direction than they had been before he entered the room. I think it has to be. I mean, I feel like. Part of why the show is good is not just that we're seeing a good guy do good things well. It's also that he's having an impact on the people around him. Mm-hmm. Like even um, 
the brief interaction with Nathan, he doesn't, he tries to kick him off the, or manages to kick him off the field and then is almost immediately won over because Ted wants to know what his name is. These aren't big things that Ted has to do. He has to just, you know, excuse the language, but not be an asshole. And if you're not an asshole, it almost seems like a superpower because you take a second to care about the people around you. Right. And he's never that. He's never an asshole. At least we haven't we haven't witnessed it. And and to this point, uh, it seems like he takes these small interactions and sort of just really squeezes as much juice as he can out of them. Well, I think he might say, what's a small interaction? I think that's part of the beauty of it, too. I think he recognizes in every moment that this is a moment of connection. And, and actually beyond that, this is a moment of connection. I would argue he this is the moment. So I'm not worried that about e- the fact that, that every got, moment, every moment is the moment. Is the is moment. It's always You're the right moment. Ahead. It's it's a deeply, actually, it's a deeply mindful way of being, right? So I'm about to go meet the person who hired me, right? I, any of us could understand if at that exact moment he's not particularly taken by Nate's name, and certainly not if it's going to be a project to get the kid to say it, right? But right now I'm talking to you, and I'll be talking to her when I get upstairs. And I'll be talking to the team when I get to the locker room. And I'm not going to worry about my conversation with her when I'm in the locker room. And I'm not going to worry about the locker room when I'm here with you. He's He's persistently in the moment. moment. Yeah. Well, so he gets in there and they shake. uh, uh, Rebecca shakes hands with Coach Beard, which now seems strangely un-Rebecca-like to me. But uh, she introduces Higgins. She says, oh, this is Higgins, our current current director of communications. (laughs) (laughs) And Higgins goes, current? So good. She asked asked Higgins to take Coach Beard, and they have that great line: "Wi-Fi password, wet wipes." Beard says, "Humidifier, way ahead of you, Coach." God, it's so good. It's such a good team. Then they sit down together. She offers him something to drink. He asks, "I love this." This was not in the in the script. He asks for a mochaccino or a frappuccino, anything with a little coffee in it, so long as I can't taste a hint of coffee, which is super light and super sweet, mm-hmm. and just cracks me up when i was a coffee drinker that's how i took it hmm. and she says how do you like your tea well usually i take it right back to the counter because someone made a horrible mistake <laughs> I, I also yeah well, it's so it's so good. i thought again because he could be and, and we didn't talk about it before but there's a joke as they're getting you know as they're heading uh through the airport that pretty much you know he ate beard's cookie and i right. like that there are these moments where Again, they could have made him a caricature, and instead, he's a real, you know, he's hes a real person with, like, real feelings, including why would I possibly drink tea? It looks like hot brown water, right? I mean, it's just yeah. like, yeah. I enjoy that about him. Now, how's he going to handle ordering his coffee or, or ordering his tea or asking for tea? That's, you know, we'll see. But but he's always going to sort of be that real version of himself. I also like the the hint of the hint of coffee uh, joke because it's another way that we do that to each other. And I, by we, I mean men. You know, I, I can distinctly remember I used to be a bartender, and the guy who owned our bar he had another bar, and we went to hang out there. And I ordered, I'm you know nineteen twenty whatever I am, and I ordered a blue Hawaiian. And I can just remember the scorn and disdain as he yes. mocks my drink yes. order. And it's like, 
So, you know, is that the reason I now drink bourbon? Probably not. I probably would have graduated anyway. But it was clear to me that I was not being a man because yeah. I had ordered the wrong drink. And I think for him to say mochaccino, frappuccino, like it's what a oh man It's Trust me, Bill Parcells mocks frappuccinos. There's no version yes. of the universe where Bill Parcells is ordering what I often get as my treat, which is a soy vanilla latte. Because they're, <laughs> because they're lovely. Because they really right. are lovely. It's true. Um, they're definitely true. lovely. Bourbon is lovely. So, yes, it's good you graduated to that. But a blue Hawaiian is delicious, too. There you go. Sorry. Um, there's room for everybody. There you go. I think my favorite part of that line is when he said, yeah, it's horrible. One is just that the line reading was so funny. Like, this is why <laughs> yes. Jason Sudeikis yes. was on SNL for so many years. <laughs> but also... So in the real world, I work in nonprofit Mm -hmm. and there is a tendency among some people, even in positions of leadership where they believe that the answer to not being toxically masculine Mm. is to not stand up for anything ever at any point. Yes. And so I had a few managers over the years where I would bring them a problem or a complaint or whatever else. And their way of dealing with it was to manage around the issue so that we didn't have to ask anybody to change anything. Mm. Now, the downside is that, of course, then I was being asked to change things and do additional work or put up with unacceptable behavior or whatever else it was, because the person, and I'm going to level with you, usually it was dudes mm. in the position of power. That's felt shocking. Like, are, you, are you sure it was dudes? I, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to imagine. I right. Can, that, I can think you know, back. In a workplace yeah, environment, yeah. really? Yeah, usually dudes. And usually, <laughs> and, and, Stunning. And it was just such, it's as bad of leadership to not stand up for yourself and for people around you as it is to walk all over everybody else. And so Ted saying like, no, tea is horrible. I'm not going to drink tea. Right. Yeah, get what you want because you're going to do what you want to and not worry about being somebody's version of masculine, but you're also going to ask for a drink that you want. Mm-hmm. It's somehow not offensive when he does it. I always thought tea was going to taste like hot brown water, and you know what? I was right. Yeah, it's horrible. No, thank you. <laughs> so you go, such a good line. It's just not it, It's not offensive. He doesn't. It's not rude. He gets away with it. Um, by the way, Higgins sounds like... Uh, old Higgins, uh, under the previous owner of the team, sounds a lot like that manager you just described. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So she so. says, would you like a tour? He says, oh, I'd love to see Abbey Road. She says, of the club. He says, let's start there. And <laughs> I'd love to see Abbey Road. Uh, he's ready to be pals. Great. And she's she's not. She's very British. Now we get, she shows the first match in 1897, the background of ghosts. Oh, do you believe in ghosts, Ned? I do, but more importantly, I think they need to believe in themselves. I guffawed <laughs> out loud, too loud. People were sleeping. I'm glad they didn't wake up. I, like, that was so funny to me. And just a great way, again, to just, like, character, 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 character. But Ted does kind of believe that. Like, I mean, that's the key to everything. So when they were sitting down in the in the coffee scene, right after the coffee scene, in the script... He says to her, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says, in the pilot script, the original script, he says, you know, now it's just the two of us. Just level with me. Just tell me why you hired me. And she smiles and gets up and walks away. So that was cut. That was interesting. Mm. Now, once we get down to the the tour, where she's touring him through the things, uh, through the through the pictures and, and the mementos, 
And he says, you know, he talks about uh, the, the joke about believing themselves. She actually, there's a scene, there's a line in there that was also cut. And she says, you know why I picked you, Ted? Because this hallway is a monument to the kind of second rate success that only men of privilege can achieve and yet still maintain their power. And you're nothing like them and neither am I. I really wish that they'd kept that in, although I don't know how it would have resolved with what we learned about Rebecca later. Hmm. I think that there are a few different things they could have done with her character and her coming off of her divorce and being upset at the betrayal. I think that when you have women as owners of sports teams, we, not we, because I clearly don't own a sports yes. team, but women in general in those positions usually do need to think outside of the box a little bit more. Like you kind of have to all be always be playing small ball because you aren't going to automatically be given the same resources or support as men usually get. And so having to think like, maybe if we find the right guy who could bring the team together, we can do well, seems totally plausible. I think it would have been good to point it out. I kind of like where they went with Rebecca's character, so I can't complain too much, but I think that that would have been a really interesting thing to throw out to specifically touch on gender and gender roles. Yeah, and I think it's 100% right. Second-rate success that only men of privilege can achieve and yet still maintain their power. I mean, just look around. Look around the world. You know, I saw that picture <laughs> yeah, of the, right. uh, what was it, the State of the Union, the, the cabinet in the front row, all these old white dudes. I'm like, oh, my God. Good Lord. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, anyway, just cr- craziness. Yeah. Pure craziness. Okay. Points out then, hey, there's Rupert. That guy looks like a good time. She says, that's my ex-husband. And he says, well, good times aren't always good times, I've found. Uh, now he changes um, the topic and he looks right at Rebecca and he now he's Ted the sort of like, you know, his his persona. And he says, I heard all about that. How are you holding up? And so that was interesting. That was like sort of the first like genuine question for her, like a real question, a human question. She says it hasn't been the easiest year. I'll need you to speak to the press. And he says, after a couple of good nights and sleep, I'll be happy to do so. She says, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you knew they're ready for you right now. And then, boom, he's into the den of iniquity. He's into, he's, he's into the flashing lights right. and packed room of press. His response to that is another example of his embracing the moment and his being present. Ten seconds ago, I thought I was going to go get some rest, get myself together so I could meet the press. Turns out I'm meeting the press now. All right, I'm going to go sit in that chair where I'm supposed to be. And I'm going to take these questions and let's see how this goes. He rolls with it. I could see, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, Bobby Knight's getting killed on this uh, podcast all of a sudden. But, but, I, but I could see Bobby Knight saying, are you crazy? I'm not talking to anybody or getting up there and going, you know, let me tell you how this is going to go. It's also not magical, right? It's not just like he just goes with it and everything works out for him. Like sometimes it doesn't work out at all. Sometimes he forgets his fizzy water. Right. I mean, but, <laughs> you know, like, sometimes it's a mess, you know, but I love I love that he just kind of was like, all right, apparently we're doing a press conference and, and, and off he went. And he knows what he's getting into. And even even more beard when beard comes into the room a little bit later, beard gives him that they mm-hmm. share that look like the holy shit look <laughs> like, which yeah, is, yeah, which is sure. so great. 
So what's nice about this scene also is now we start to meet the players. We intro mm-hmm. Sam and Roy right now. Roy is played by Brett Goldstein. Sam is played by Toei Jimo. And they are both, my God, they're both so, so, so good in this show. It's just shocking. Yeah. We see them, uh, we see them watching on the television from the training room. We see Jamie in the background doing curls and looking at himself in the mirror. And Roy's first line, does anybody remember what Roy's first line in the show is? <laughs> Wait, oh. if I don't hear silence, I'm going to start punching dicks. Which yeah. I didn't expect a Chaucer reference. <laughs> so that caught me so, off guard. Sorry. So unbelievable. It's, it's amazing. Ted does the spitting up water and then it, it goes sideways right away. Now we introduce the Greek chorus, which I love. It's a great mechanism. It lets the audience know how we're supposed to feel. We meet Baz, Paul, and Jeremy, the guys who are in the in the in the pub. Baz is played by Adam mm. Colborn. Paul is played by Kevin Gary. And Jeremy's played by Bronson Webb. They are fantastic. And they're not the same thing, which I really appreciated. Did you notice that? So they have different levels. Baz is always your hardliner. Absolutely. The loudest, the one in the middle. He's always loud and in your face. Jeremy is is more like Baz and more sort of ready to jump in. But Paul is one over pretty early. When Ted makes a joke about ties, Paul starts laughing yeah. right away. And I thought, okay, this is this is really cool. Yeah, it's. I don't know that they meant to do all of this. I will say it's interesting that of the three of them being black, Paul's been an outsider. So it's funny that he's the one who's a, a little more likely to say, eh, I'll give the guy a chance. Or at the very least, love him or hate him, that was funny. Right, right, right. One of the things I loved about it is anyone who's been a hardcore sports fan, whatever the sport might be, and honestly, I feel like Saturday, you know, you ate. AYSO can have the same kind of vibe right. sometimes is just the insane place. I mean, it's, it's fan stands for fanatic, right? I mean, it's the insane place we go to and the way we yell and scream and talk about who sucks and who's an idiot and who should die. Oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. We, like the, the, the insane things that we say around sports, you would just, why never, are you running the ball um, on third and 14? Are you stupid? Right. I, I hate you. Why did your mother do this to us? Right. Like, whatever. And you're like, what? You know, so I love that that was the vibe. I love that they are obviously truly diehards. A new coach has been named. They hate the hiring. I have been there. Um, and I just bought it. I just bought it immediately. Like, the, the, yeah, the writers, bought, the writers get sports, right? I mean, they get it. Yeah. Very much so. They understand the so. dynamic. They understand fandom. They look at this twat, fucking yank. Um, right, right off the bat. I mean, they don't give him any bandwidth whatsoever. He is, they just, they, they loathe him. He bought, he is so not smooth. He, right. he bought, he can't even drink water. Like, I mean, how inept do you have to be if you, not right. once, but twice? He gives the speech about, I've never coached the coach at any level. Uh, everybody loses, loses mind. Roy drops his head and says, Jesus, um, you can fill two internets with what I don't know about football. We get the joke about halves or ties. Um, the first mm-hmm. time of the apocalypse, we see Pop, Paul in the pub laugh. And he says, you know, uh, no topic will be into touch. My door is always open. And um, then we get the intro of Trent Krim, played by James Lance. Um, he really captures this character of, of just snotty, <laughs> like know-it-all journalist uh, really well. 
you know, you've never done this. He sets up Ted's Ted's qualifications and then and then trashes them. You know, this is this is I think brilliant writing. I think it's just amazing writing because what we've established on the plane is Ted saying, are we crazy? And Beard saying, yeah. And that now we put this in the light of the bright light of day and everybody's mm-hmm. saying this is crazy and everybody is in right. unison. There is not a dissenting opinion, whether it's the pub, whether it's the room, whether it's the, well, I guess Rebecca's the dissenting opinion. And we find out a couple seconds later, no, she's not the dissenting opinion. She's the one engineering this. Everybody is uh, completely in agreement that this is the craziest thing they've ever heard. And the only people that aren't in on the joke are Ted and Beard. One of the things when I was watching the scene, I am technically a sports fan, but I'm also a White Sox and a Bears fan, which Mm. means that there are a lot of years where less than halfway through even, you just have to decide this isn't it. Like we're not. (laughs) getting it done this year. And then you're sort of casually invested. I'm not going to lose any sleep if the bears don't make it to the Super Bowl. Like uh, I'm very much what a lot of people would call a fair weather fan. And I'm fine with that. So part of the scene for me was, I looked down my nose at that for what it's worth because of my toxic masculinity. I I mean, that that's, I'm totally fine. (laughs) I'm a Patriots fan. It's Uh, it's, we were bred. It's in the water. So really sorry about that. I, I, don't understand why you keep saying that to me. I've heard before about how you're a Patriots fan and I hated it then. I hate it now. But uh, one of the things that the scene conveyed to me is that regardless of what Rebecca wants to get out of this, what she is getting is a bunch of publicity because Mm -hmm. a bunch of people did show up in the media room Mm -hmm. for a team that hasn't been doing well this millennium that is continually disappointing. Like I'm trying to think of what they would have to do to get me excited about the bears coach. Not just like I'm going to start watching and then sort of dip out when you guys get bad, but actually like be paying attention. And it would be sort of a lot. Like I get that English football is different from American football and most football fans are not like me, but she knows what she's doing at least to an extent. That's a great insight in terms of Rebecca. And I would argue off of your earlier point around how she as a woman would have to navigate being in charge. Mm -hmm. She's quick and she's quite, she's brilliantly observant. She knew that room was going to be packed when she decided to have, right? And she knew who was going to be in there and she knew who was going to be a problem. She knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, she didn't and, know the extent I, I of it. Think, That's what makes it even. I mean, no, like, this no, was she a couldn't disaster. know it was going to unravel. She didn't know he wasn't going to be able to drink fucking water. I mean, <laughs> like, what is happening? And then she she glides like a Disney princess, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. through across the, the the front of the platform and takes over, and 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 silences everyone. This has been profound mediocrity. Am I wrong? Somebody says, "Well, that's a bit harsh." She says, "Yeah, but am I wrong?" And silence. Right. Silence, and she says, "We have right. something that that uh, our Ted has something that we haven't had. It's a trophy in this millennium." And she makes a unbelievably compelling argument right off the mm-hmm. bat, and and takes ownership of the room, and then dismisses everyone. And that'll be all. Thank you. We'll see you in the game against Crystal Palace. And I was like, "Ooh, man, what an operator!" She right. seems so put together. And then what we know about the amount of pain she's endured and the amount of uh, unfairness makes it. You go back and you rewatch and you just want to like slow clap. You're just like, man, 
she is. If she could harness this superpower, wow, what, what could she be? Right, right. Ted matter-of-factly says, I love your gla- I love those glasses. And Trent takes them off. Right. Yes. And, and to me, that was Trent going, don't you play with me, Yank. We're going to get the glasses thing out of the way. I'm here to ask my question. And I think part of the brilliance and as that moment unfolds and as we, we get to know Ted more and more, it's not a shtick. As we get to know Trent more and more, we know that it's a battle to him. He views it as an oppositional relationship. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so we yes. know we know that. And before we gloss over this, because I know we're going to slide right past it, I loved the the camera work in the scene. I loved the audio work yes. in the scene. They they dropped in some feedback. They had shots, yeah. uh, waist high shots, where the camera was tilted to make everything more chaotic. There were some laughs from from journalists that reminded me of like a Fellini film, like a laughing clown. It was crazy. It was pure craziness. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in the middle of it, there was this great joke <laughs> that I absolutely love, where someone yells, "What's a goalie?" And Ted says, the fellow with the big Mickey Mouse hands by the neck. Yes. I I yes. was dying laughing when I heard that. Yes. The fellow with the big Mickey Mouse hands. Oh. And this, and you know, and I don't know how much they considered this or didn't consider this or what have you, but I don't know a ton about soccer. And there was something, there's something fun about the way the show uses the language, but brings us along. So I was able to laugh at that joke too. I mean, I know who the goalie is, right? But, but still, like it was this moment where it was like, yeah, like there's a lot to learn. Yeah. But it, yeah, it's, it's a trick of writing. It's a trick of writing to be able to appeal to the sports fans and the non sports fans alike and make everybody mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. like they sort of have a, a say or they, they're sort of being represented inside the writing. And that's amazing right. that this staff did this. I will say that the extent of my knowledge of football is that they have the best legs. And Mm. as a person outside of sort of the fandom, yes, all of that is true. I never felt lost at any moment because Ted knows as little about soccer as I do. And it still works. It's nice. That's also we were the scene where we, uh, when he says the Mickey Mouse hands, that's the joke. We intro Isaac, uh, the character Isaac by Cola Bocchini, which is just a great name. Love Isaac's name. He says, this is bleak. <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody, somebody yells, you need to go back to America. It's just so good. The, the, I mean, it's a, tro- it's an old trope, but it's an effective one of like the dumb ass bumbling Yankee coming to the more cultured mm-hmm. sort of, you know, motherland, the original motherland of this mm-hmm. country. And, and, uh, you know, he's just some wet behind the he- ears idiot just an imbecile straight up imbecile mm-hmm. you need to go back to america we also at this point intro colin he's played by billy harris he doesn't have any dialogue in the scene but he's just looks stunned and shell-shocked and we have the whole angry faces and what's going to break the tension ted takes another sip of the fizzy water and spits it up over everyone and all their tape recorders and then we have of course rebecca slide in and she has a claim because she's been there she's been in the trenches she said, despite the number of you, there isn't a single person in this room who's seen Richmond play as much as I have. And they cut a nice line that I that I like, which was in the script, which said, home, away, league, cup, sunny days on the Thames, cold, rainy nights in Stoke. And then she talks about profound mediocrity, and she dismisses everybody. And Ted takes a second, instead of just running out, yes. do you remember what he says? That he was sorry for spitting yeah, on his nice stuff. Yeah, nice meeting y'all, and sorry yeah, for spitting on all your stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> Fantastic. Well, again, like Ted is gonna Ted. You spit on somebody's stuff, you you need to apologize. That's fine. I'm a coach. They're the press. You're human beings. I'm a human being. I'm, I am. Like, he is genuinely sorry he did that. He's not. It's not like ooh, they're gonna hate me now. I better craftily show I'm a nice guy. Just he's so steadily Ted. It reminded me a lot. I have a friend whose answer for getting out of awkward situations is to head on address the awkwardness to yes. the extent that she'll say, man, this is awkward. And it somehow always works. It's not the coolest thing to say, I'm sorry I spit on you, but it's going to diffuse the tension. Well, and right. he's also not clueless. He's not like, doesn't realize that right. he spit on him. He just, he's just owning. Yeah. I think there's a power, again, to, to, to what you were saying there, boss, around, you know, calling the moment. He is disarming. Actually, this is a word I hadn't thought of with him, but it's true. Because the things we're usually accustomed to people coming at us and they've got their angle and it, it, he's not doing any of that. Right. And there's something about, you know, with your friend saying this is awkward, right? Usually what we'll do is try to show how we're not feeling awkward or whatever or talk about it later. There's just a power to calling it out. In stand-up, they call it call on the What are room. they going to write about? Uh, oh, he spit up on all the things, but he did, you know, he did call it out and he did apologize. Like, I mean, he just consistently takes away all their, you know, all the, the, the edge that they have. Mm-hmm. So, so he um, finally escapes the room, but with the help of Rebecca, uh, Beard is waiting for him with water, which I really loved as a touch because Beard always knows what to do and when to do it. He mm-hmm. says, "You know, I, you know, I'm fine when there's no bubbles. I can do that all day." Another LOL. So for me. funny. Ted wants to meet the team. Rebecca says, "Can't keep a gaffer from his pitch." He says, "I'm, I'm over two on that sentence." And I searched the script before that. I was like, "What? Where? Where else? Where else was he O for two on?" There literally is not. I, that must be an artifact from like a previous script because that. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I got to jump in here, coach. I, he, he doesn't know what gaffer means and he doesn't know what pitch means. Oh, so he's 0 for 2. On that sentence. He's like, I don't know oh, what anything oh, in that got sentence it. Oh, meant. that makes sense. Okay, good. All right. I didn't realize. I, I thought he had like that Nate had called him a gaffer earlier or something. I was like, no, Wait, no, what? no, no. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah, I'm no. 0 for he's 2 saying, I don't know any good. of the words. That, that makes perfect sense because he's re- he's rehearsing the words in the next scene as we yes. get out under the out under the pitch. He learns the word training um, as he leaves Higgins. Now we see Higgins who says, "I have to say, ma'am, I was a bit skeptical at first, but after hearing you speak in there, I'm excited by your choice. You're right, Coach Lasso is just what we need." Rebecca says, "Of course, that's not what we need." And then in she really. <laughs> Anyone else want to run run with the imagery? Of, oh, I'll um, take it. I, I was going to say, boss, I think only one yeah. voice could do this Jeez. justice. I, I mean, what we learned then is that she's intentionally sabotaging the club because she hates her ex-husband so much. And the club is the only thing that he's loved, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, what she specifically says is that she wants him to feel like he's being fucked in the ass with a splintered cricket bat. And the funniest thing maybe of the entire show is when she says just going in and out in a constant loop like a GIF. Is that what GIFs do? Like double checking with things. Like, am I getting that right? Am am I good with the lingo? I just told you about how I want my ex-husband to be fucked in the ass with splintered wood, but I'm going to double check on the GIF terminology just to make sure that's it. 
Now that um, moment was terrifying yeah. for me because I have an ex-wife and I <laughs> I felt it in my lower intestines. But I think I think boss, that was where you fell in love with the show. Am I right? Well, it's where I fell in love with uh, Rebecca. The, where I fell in love with the show was the um, the the fellow who bends it like himself line. That was but so good. That's oh my god, it's such a good line. I feel like part of what was so interesting about this is that yes, her ex-husband is an asshole and she wants to make him suffer. It's interesting that she has been as involved with the club as her ex-husband was. And she's willing to sabotage this thing that she has this lifelong connection to in order to piss off her ex-husband. There's a lot of layers going on with that. She has dedicated so much time. She's now intentionally going to make herself look like an incompetent manager just to piss him off. You have to sort of respect that level of dedication. No, no, no. That's it. Just like, bravo, man. You're really doing it. You're, and, you're and, really and, doing and it. And I get it because, because I get the sense, you know, the, the headline, you know, he gets the bimbos, she gets the bozos, what have you. She's so fundamentally powerful. I experience it. I love it. And I, I, you know, I just adore Rebecca. And at the same time, there's an impotence to what she's doing because it's like, how can I hurt him? Like, I almost feel like you can see her saying, like, there's only one thing I can do. She says it. It's the only thing he's ever loved. I think that helped me root for her as a character, not necessarily on her mission, because I think everybody can can appreciate that moment when you're just like, what can I possibly do to win this fight? Yeah. I mean, she's absolutely throwing a tantrum. There's, I feel like the adage about the best revenge is living a good life. It seems very trite, but also one time I ran into a guy who broke my heart in college and I intentionally called him by the wrong last name. And it was the greatest moment of my life. I have I never done anything better than that. <laughs> I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> that sounds... And, and so this definitely doesn't feel like she's going to get back at him by showing how much she doesn't need him. She's going to get back at him by ruining him. Yeah. She's going to scorch the earth. And and when you step back, I mean, you could admire it from a, from a willpower standpoint standpoint from an apocalypse now general uh, colonel kurtz sort of willing to do whatever it takes to have that sort of uh, effect but i mean she is out of reaction she is acting out of impotence not she's not acting out of her own power and so that's what's hard to watch especially when you see how it plays out in, in other episodes but yeah but it, it you do empathize with her and you do recognize especially as we get to know her how she could head down this particular road. Everyone, and you pointed this out, boss, there's no real villain, right? Like, I get everyone, and I love... There there is eventually. Mm -hmm. I love Trent Krim. I love everybody. There's no no hope. How'd they do that? There is an eventual villain. Eventually. Right. Well, not not here. here. Yes. Not here. here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, Now, Ted uh, takes everybody out back out, or takes... Him and Beard are back out at the at the pitch looking at the players. He's learning the term training. He waves to Nate. Nate can't believe he waves at him. And he brings them over some sports mix and gets the rare face of approval <laughs> from Coach Beard. <laughs> so great. It's a big, a big deal. deal. 
we meet Roy uh, playing for the first time. Boss, do you remember what what Roy is screaming when we first meet him on the field? I I absolutely do. I in fact had to correct you. What he says is Jesus, Mary, and fuckface Joseph. Eyes on the man you're marking, <laughs> and and I had to commit that line to memory because eventually I'm going to want to be able to tell my child the exact <laughs> moment that they were conceived, and this is it. <laughs> I love that boss. It's so good, it's so good. Nate mentions that Roy's won a. He's a legend. He's lost a step, but he won a champ. Won joined the Champions League with Chelsea. Beard says eight years ago. Well, actually, before that happens, Nate uh, is impressed that he says you continue to impress Nathan, and Nathan Nate can't believe that uh, they remembered his name. And right then, Jamie does a sick bicycle kick, hits off the crossbar, and like Ted is physically stunned. He's like, "Oh my god! Holy smokes! Did you see that? That fellow looked like a kitty cat when it gets spooked by a cucumber." Uh, and everybody knows what those internet videos look like. Uh, it's such mm-hmm. a good, such a good line. Who the heck is that? Jamie Tart, the top scorer on the team. And they ask Nate, what's he like? And Nate says he's great at football. And, and coach says, yeah, uh, I know fellas like that. Then we see Sam. Ted is shocked to find out that the players are international. Asks if Wales is a country. Yes and no. How many countries are in this country? Four. And it's kind of like America these days. Although, <laughs> Is America like four or is it just two? I'm not sure. I love that that was another opportunity, like the unpack it joke, right? That says like, this person is paying attention. This person is informed. This person, you know, he may not get in the Facebook wars about it, but he knows what's going on. So I think I I like that. The other thing I liked about the scene, though, is that exchange around Jamie and Nate saying as much as he thinks he can say. And us seeing that Ted is a great listener because mm-hmm. he doesn't just hear the lyrics, he hears the right. music. And, and, and that's, again, not something that the sort of classic man thing that, that you would be anywhere close to that level of sensitivity around what's really being said or what's the unheard message. That's something I would expect you to put on, um, Rebecca's character, right? The woman character is the one mm-hmm. who's, you know, really paying attention to where everyone is and what they're really saying behind the words. I just thought that was like a, it, it showed a level of evolution on his, on his part. I'm, I, I don't argue I'm still there. And I'm sure if we ever had my wife as a guest, she would argue that I'm not, but I will say uh. to some degree, <laughs> uh, I've learned a little bit around not just hearing what my wife said, but hearing what she's saying. And that's a real thing. And I think a 2020 man needs to develop yep. that. Spoken like spoken yeah. like a veteran. Yeah, absolutely. Spoken like somebody who's doing way better than a lot yep. of dudes. Um, <laughs> we'll see. I, don't ask I think, her. Well, I don't hold me to that. I, I think one of the other great things about that is that he asks what Jamie is like. He, he's not overly impressed immediately with Jamie's skills. Like, hmm. yes, he does, in fact, look like a kitty cat scared by a cucumber. And that's impressive that he could do that. But he doesn't say, like, how many goals did he have last game or what are his stats like? He said, what's he like? Because, again, he's more concerned about coaching the person than coaching the sport. Good point. Good great point. point. Really great point. Hey, All right. You win the podcast. Fine. <laughs> <That's it>. uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> I missed that. Right. Um, right all right. right. So we, we, the coaches then head to the locker room. We get a beautiful moment. I do love a locker room. Smells like potential. It's a nice homage mm-hmm. to the Robert Duvall character in Apocalypse Now. He smells Axe body spray, which he identifies as Lynx, his favorite of the jungle cats. Team walks in. People mm-hmm. start messing with Nate right away. Roy walks by them and glares. And Ted says, the last time I saw is that cold. They're going head to head with Roy Scheider. So I'm like, this is a Gen X show because you don't, you don't drop a Roy Scheider. I'm like, that's <laughs> like, what? You no. just can't drop it. You can't get away with that. Nobody, I don't think, like, my kids are Gen Z. They have no idea. They've heard of Roy Scheider. They have no idea who that right, is. Who yeah. the hell's Roy Scheider? But I was like, oh, I can name six Roy Scheider movies, um, starting with Blue Thunder. Then Ted, this is really interesting because this shows my own toxic masculinity. He says hello in the least masculine way ever, sort of. He just sort of, he's just like, hey, how are you? He, he, he barely, I don't know, he just like, it's like the, the, the speech version of walking sideways through a busy crowd. Like, you know, the, mm. he, you know what I mean? He, he just, he, he just <laughs> yeah, barely notice him. He, he, he's, everyone else gets priority over him. He just says hello. And then he's interrupted by Keely. And I thought, wow, he is so. He's just not announcing his presence with authority to, to coin a Nukalush phrase. He's just, he's not announcing his presence at all. He's sort of just sidling up to these people. He's not putting himself in the coach position. Like I am the new authority. He's there. There is no new sheriff in this town in the way that he's saying. I think that that is most definitely not a coach move. That is a parent move. And now I don't have kids and I am 100% planning not to, but I have nieces and nephews. <laughs> and what I know is that it is easier to prevent a fight than to win one. So if you say to a kid, like, what do you want to wear to school? Right. It's going to be a whole thing. But if you say, would you like to wear these or would you like to wear these? Then you don't have to have that fight with them. And so I think, if he came in and demanded their attention before they knew who he was and before they knew what he was interested in doing, he was automatically going to be setting himself up as an opposition to them. He was already the outsider. He already didn't have any experience. He hadn't proven himself to them at all. So coming in and demanding the respect that he hadn't yet earned wouldn't have been a smart move for Ted. Yeah, but that's that's how every coach would do it. So that's the whole thing is the expectation. He is their coach. Whether they like it or not, mm-hmm. he controls their jobs. He controls their salaries, their futures. He is the new law of the land. Whether they like it or not, they can think he's a clown, but he can bench them on Sunday and or on Saturday. I forget which which day uh, Premier League plays, but Saturday, Saturday. right? Yeah. Yep. So he can he can bench them, and that's it. So he is the de facto authority in that locker room, but he doesn't. Um, he could, and, and I mean, like I, this is why it's so jarring for me. I'm like. I just, I've never had a coach like that that didn't come in and say, all right, everybody, listen up. Um, here's how it's going to be. You might, I don't care if you like it. It's my way or the highway. And that's it. Like I, I've had 200 coaches in my life. I've never had one like Ted Lasso and in, in 12 different sports that I played. And I never had a single coach that was, that was remotely like Ted Lasso. I've had friends who I would say are this style. And I've always found them fascinating. And one friend in particular from college comes to mind, my buddy Watt. And I, I said about, I've said about him so many times over the years. He never said much, but what he said, everybody shut up to listen. 
And mm-hmm. I think there's something truly powerful about people who get that element of power that I don't, I don't have to grab it or fight for it. I just am powerful. Now it doesn't fit into what we usually write in the performative piece we've been talking about, but in an interesting way, he does, he really does introduce himself. Who he is in that moment is truly who he is. He's excited to be there. He wants to get to know them better. If you got to go, man, you got to go. You want to go get waxed? That's what you should do. <laughs> right, like, right. So, so, <laughs> exactly. you know, you- so Keely walks in and interrupts him and he's not bothered by it at all. How can I help you? She's just there to pick up Jamie. Jamie is, you know, in his graffiti, you know, his, his, whatever his outfit, his, his, the cap he's wearing is, uh, says icon on it. Uh, he says, coach, if you want me to stay, I can stay. And, and I noticed Roy was studying Ted when he, when he said that. And, uh, he's like, no, no, it's all right. No, that's okay. And Jamie says, cheers and shakes his hands and walks out after Keely to, to watch her ass as she walks out. Guys go back to dressing and Ted says, anywho, thank you for your time, but no one's listening. I really relate to Roy. So I was also disgusted with him the way Roy was. Roy was just like, ugh, gross. Like, ugh, just like that is the least impressive person I've ever met. And then we get, I think this is when I fell in love with the show. The coaches walk in, they study the room in silence, they nod at each other, and the next shot is them pushing the desks together. Oh my god, I love that moment. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, and, and it, it's them knowing each other fully. Yeah. I think, And I think it's why, by the way, I, I think, yes, there are some Gen X references, um, there are some different kinds of references, the sports references we'll talk about in a little bit, that if you get them, I think, add whole levels of richness to the For show. Sure. But I think it's less important that I get the reference than it is that I observe the way they get the reference together. That's the important part. And so I, I kind of, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Diner. But anyway, there's a great line where one of the char- a character and a group of guys says, meet me down by the place where we did the thing or something like, you know, essentially that. And it's just this great moment because when you're talking to your friends, you don't have to say, meet me down at that diner that served the great ham, right? right? Like you just, and, and I think some of this plays effectively that way, even if the Roy Scheider joke is, is lost. Any of those jokes, if they're lost on you, you still get it and, and you blast right by them. But they do add like they do add richness. Exactly what you're saying. So then they then they decorate the room. They put the desk together. They decorate the room. We got a card that says "Good luck, Daddy" on Ted's desk. They hang a picture of Muhammad Ali. Uh, they unroll a poster of the Miracle on Ice, which I first particularly loved as a hockey player. Um, we get Coach V, Jim Valvano, get Buster Douglas, uh, the day he knocked out Mike Tyson. We get John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. With the quote that I read earlier. And then Ted falls asleep. Beard wakes him up nicely, snapping. Gotta stay up, coach. Don't be a sleep cop. And then Ted says, Hey, Roy. He sees Roy calls him in. Roy says, Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, what do you want? Um, Ted says, Oh, you know, he compliments him. It's fun to watch. The boys respond to you. You know, it doesn't surprise me you've had a heck of a career. And Roy says, uh, Why don't you take this one, coach? Never thought it would end being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald, <laughs> which I was like, wow. 
really? I was like, like slow clap. I'm like, oh my god, wow. this salty bastard. I love him. I He's love just him. so god. angry. Like he just oozes anger. I didn't know the music, but I, you know, in listening and watching that scene, it, it, it's simplified was the, you know, the theme that jumped out to me in that in that scene from the music and then looking at what they were doing and even the conversation with Roy. I thought that was a powerful piece of this. They didn't overcomplicate it. And that also seems to be a piece of what's going on with Ted. Ted's not going to tell you 57 things. He didn't come in there and say, here's how I want us to go out on the field and this is how you're going to line up and this is how I want you to wear your cleats and no one's allowed to wear their socks past this height. You know, right? I mean, Simplify is a big piece of it. And I think Simplify was also how he dealt with Roy insulting him. Well, there's also the, yeah, no, no, that's a really good point. point. And also, you got to look at the things they didn't hang up. You know, there wasn't a Michael Jordan poster or a Kobe poster. There wasn't a, you know, I'm trying to think of a, there wasn't like a James Harrison poster in football or, uh, you know what I mean? Or like, um, there, there's no me first kind of players that were, that were on his wall. And I thought, and even, even the Ali is Ali knocking out Liston, right? It's not Ali on top of the world. I'm, right, right, it's, right, right. It's Ali in the moment where he went from braggadocious young kid everybody thought was going to get just destroyed. killed, never mind yeah. beaten, to the beginning of who he be, would become. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I noticed that, too. That could have been a picture of Tyson flexing after right, he won all the right. belts. Instead, it was a picture of Buster Douglas who won 42 right, to 1. Right, exactly, exactly <laughs> right. The Ronald fucking McDonald line, never thought of him being coached by Ronald fucking McDonald. He walks out. Total disrespect. Ted says, you going to let him call you that? Beard says, I don't think he was referring to me. Ted says, he thinks he's mad now. Wait till we win him over. It, it is a fait accompli. <laughs> he, it, is, it is a done deal. Beard says he'll be furious. He'll be furious. They, this is like a joke to them. Everyone yeah. is playing according to exactly the way they think they're going to play. They've done this dance before. They know exactly. It doesn't phase them at all. I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. It's like Beard knows that's Ted's superpower, among other ones, I guess, but that he wins people over. It's impossible to dislike him. But I think, though, it, the power of it is Ted doesn't win. Roy wins. That's that's the superpower, is my winning is your right. winning. So the next thing the person knows, they're doing the thing that's great for them, and you won, but it's not, <laughs> like, you're not, you won because I'm not opposing you. I think one of the interesting things about the way that the show set Ted up is that we're seeing him at the beginning of doing this brand new thing in a brand new sport and a brand new country. And they only briefly highlight the fact that the year before that he'd taken a garbage team to the promised land. So I think like there is a level of this where it's not just that he believes in himself. He's also done it. Mm. He's shown up and gotten these things done. It's not just right. It's not just theory an individual like he also does well he does his job well and he wins games even if that's not what's important to him no that's a solid point no he's he's done it he's danced the dance uh then he asks coach beard for tape coach beard has the tape in his hand immediately and he goes over he he tapes up the sign the believe sign he goes over and tapes up keely's nipples inside jamie's locker she stuns him and he bangs his head 
And then she helps him reset the sign. But I wasn't sure about this. Maybe you guys can help me with this. I couldn't tell if she was just messing with him or or not, because the sign is just as tilted as before, if not more. I, I, I couldn't tell. I think it ended up being artistically tilted, which is what Keely might have been going for if she thought, I mean, she lets her boyfriend wear graffiti tracksuits. Right. So I'm not saying that she has the best taste uh, in everything, <laughs> but she might have an eye for making things look a specific way that's perfect in an imperfect way. So it's an a- allegory so for her off-kilter persona. Yes. I, you know, it's, I like that actually a lot. I, it wasn't where I, I landed as I watched the scene. I thought she was essentially saying, you know, screw you taking him taping over the picture is like her being judged by him. But yeah, I'm hearing what you're saying. And yeah, I actually, it took me a second with the, the taping over mm-hmm. her nipples because on the one hand, if she wants her boyfriend to put a picture of her topless up in his locker, even if other people could see it, she's clearly allowed to do that. I mean, not even allowed, but like, that's fine. Nothing sure. about that is a problem. But It's very European, too. It's <clears throat> it's very European, and it seems like it would be very, you know, react. the immediate reaction that Ted would have would be to sort of cover it up because we're more puritanical. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it was done out of a place of you shouldn't be showing off your body, but more so that they should be focusing on the other aspects of the picture. Like, yes. I think that there is a weird way that he didn't want people to not see Keely because they were looking at her boobs. Yeah. That's a, that's a yeah. nice, uh, that's a nice Great take. Point. I I didn't love the the move because it did feel sort of, you know, rooted in things I don't always agree with. I don't know the 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 very very slight whiff of shaming to it or something or mm-hmm. uh, superiority of perspective or something. I don't I don't know. Eh, I, I didn't I didn't care oh, for it. it but, but I get. I hope it's what you're both. saying. I'll choose to believe that because I love Ted. I think that definitely it could be both. There's also this thing where like it could easily be that Ted doesn't want her to feel like she has to show off her body because he expects better of her. So it does show a little bit of complication in Ted in that him being a good guy in a lot of ways does have some other ramifications that probably he hasn't thought of, at least not yet. Season, Season two, hopefully. Season two, hopefully. I think that there's definitely an element of showing off your boobs is bad. And so he doesn't want Kiwi to do it. But it's not necessarily because he has bad feelings towards her on it, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. It, that absolutely makes sense to me. And I think in the context of how he met her, right, as she walks out of the room and essentially invites a room, you know, the entire team to, to watch her walk out of the room. I think, yes, I think what you just highlighted, there's, there's something very much there. Right. But that's one of her superpowers, and she she wields it unbelievably well. You know, him covering her up is, I don't know, it has a little bit of judgment around it. And he would yeah. say, I think if we we had Ted's uh, answer to this, he would say, like, oh, I just don't want that to define her as a person. I want her to mm-hmm. be seen for more than that. And that's noble in and of itself. But if we drill down to the roots of that, we may, we may find a few religious texts somewhere under there. So <laughs> right. anyway, it doesn't matter. So let's move on. Oh, it, sorry. Go ahead. We're gonna it might be 
I was going to say it might be chivalrous more than noble. Is the I love that distinction. It would be chivalrous if she wasn't cool with it. But like we we, yeah. we can presuppose I, that she I was think, cool with it, no. and we can presuppose that she is inviting everyone to watch her and strut, and it's it is her jam. She it's it's got a, it's got a little I, kink shaming her about it because young lady shouldn't do this. Uh, you know. Yeah, but I think that if you look at the actual chivalry code, that totally jives. The actual like knights are supposed to do this, and this is what chivalry. Right, is. but it presupposes like, day, a, a higher moral, uh, moral um, sort of loftiness for the knights that they are they they are held to a certain code, and in this case, it would again it would say Ted is held to that code as well, which is like I don't think he'd ever put himself above someone else. But I think he may be not realizing he is. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, for me, I've had the experience now that can get super awkward. And so I just call this out, but where a woman's carrying whatever it is and she's clearly already carrying it. So obviously she can carry it. I've offered to help and then felt very much like I came in like a knight in shining armor and I didn't mean to do that. And then I've not offered to help and felt like I was a horrible person and my mother would be ashamed. You're right in both cases. You're hor- horrible either way. <laughs> yes. So I think there's something interesting about him having done that and they even not even asked if she needed help with the package that needed carrying, but taking the package from her that removes a level of agency, even if it was done with the best of intentions. intentions. I don't think he thought I'm above her and I'm going to fix this, but I think I could see how she's like, I took the picture. I know it's there. Why? Well, he also went into somebody's personal space and enforced like his view of the world. Yeah. Whatever. Yes. Moral code or whatever. It's like, yeah, but anyway, we can, we can, I mean, he beat boxes seconds later. So I think that, Allows him to forgive, forgive anything. <laughs> I mean, um, he high fives her. She says, "Old school." He beatboxes. He references Bismarcky. I liked this. This reminded me of like you can imagine a writing staff having fun with this. She says, "If you search Twitter, I would also avoid hashtag." And then I bet a writing room would have a lot of fun with what hashtags to avoid. And sometimes the simplest ones are the best. So it's she says, "I would avoid hashtag Richmond or Wanker or Dick." <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great just dick like if you look up dick is trending on twitter and right, it's him right. he's the dick he's the dick that is trending on right twitter. that is right. that is kiss your fingers good I, it makes me so happy um he says i'll take your word for it he doesn't he doesn't she says don't you tweet he says nah do you even tweet she says which is like it's so great just a generational divide there. I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take your word for it. She bows. She says, welcome to England. None of us phases him. He turns around as if just didn't phase him at all. Um, I was blown away by that. Nate gives him a ride home. The boss says he's burning the midnight oil. He says, the harder you work, the luckier you get. I loved Beard backing into that tiny car. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I must have watched that oh five God. times. I laughed so hard. Oh, I laughed so God, hard. Physical comedy so good. Now, this is like the height of Rebecca's fakeness in this scene. It's magical how, how fake she is. She's standing next to her Rolls Royce. She hasn't even called him a car. He is acting like such a donkey doing the, doing the honking thing. Hey, you know, that's my main man, Nate the Great on the, on the horn over here, mm-hmm. or whatever. And she says to him, and I love this line. And for some reason, this line always keeps coming back to me. 
She says, you're a godsend, Ted Lasso. She's not lying. That's right. She means it. It's brilliant. Yeah, she has no idea how much she means it and then the way someday that she will mean yeah. it, but it is mind-blowing. And yeah. he's just so such a goofball, like honking a fake horn. I'm like, what are you? Who are you? Anyway, uh, she drives away in a Rolls Royce after threatening Higgins. She gives him a promotion, but she lets him know in no uncertain terms that part of the cricket, the splintered cricket bat is is saved for Higgins and his role in hiding the affairs over the years. And we find out in this scene that she took him. Uh, Higgins was, you know, a key player, if not the key player in hiding these, the, her, her ex-husband's affairs uh, from Rebecca. There's a piece of the toxic masculinity. And I, I, I'm trying to discuss this without jumping too far ahead also, but there's a participation element to it of guys who maybe don't feel that way or whatever, but the guy code of it all mm-hmm. that's deeply a part of toxic masculinity. Oh, sure. And so I, I actually liked that being called out that he may have felt any number of things. I think we could all can imagine having a job and not wanting to lose it. And, you know, if your boss is the kind of guy who's running around with all these women, he's probably also the kind of guy who doesn't exactly ask if you're comfortable with helping him cover it up. But it's still up to you whether you covered it up or not. And so there was part of me that goes, yeah, like Higgins is going to have to eat that. He did participate and she's got a point. He's so, and he's so not the type of man that it's so funny because you, there's a way to inside of the, the, the toxic masculinity sort of beta piece of it. There is a way to justify like he, he has four or five children. He, has to keep his job. He's got to put food on the table. Like he's got, you know, there's a way to justify it away, but you have the sense that it really hit him hard. She says, Oh, and Higgins, I'm sure there will be elements of this adventure that will weigh on you a bit, but I'm sure it won't be harder than it was to sneak all Rupert's women in and out behind my back all those years. And that must have killed him. The real, the, like to be called yeah. to the carpet like that, the it's so succinct and it's so true. And also, she shows her cards there in a way that she hadn't before. She does say that the current staff member, you know, the current about his job, she does, mm-hmm. she is dismissive of him, but, but we get the sense right there that she, she's going to take her, her pound of flesh for his involvement in this. And, uh, and then she leaves. He, this is the sort of the start of his uh, character. Arc. When, I think there's a big uh, or key distinction between Rebecca in this moment, where they are now in the in the pilot, and uh, Rebecca and Ted that should be highlighted here is, and that's the difference between niceness and kindness. Mm-hmm. And and she's nice, right? You have a godsend, right? So how charming she is, and she knows exactly how to turn that on. She knows exactly how to move her hand when she says it, right? She knows all of that. And she's being nice and she's plotting in that moment. And it's not like <laughs> generally speaking, she is in that moment plotting his destruction. Not his, not his specifically though. Well, yeah, but I he's mean, a pawn on she, the, on she's the sinking the ship. She knows he's correct, on. Correct. Yeah. But that, so, but I think, but his is kindness, right? Like, I mean, I think he's a kind and again, words we don't usually use for like our leading right. man, right? But so anyway, I think I think that's going to come up a bit of like how things look versus how things are. 
And I think that plays into why he can let you call him Ronald McDonald and storm out of his office because how things look is you're in charge because you told me I'm Ronald McDonald. How things are is I'm in charge because I know how this is actually going to go. I think that's a really good point. I think the only thing, one of the issues for me with this scene is that we have now seen that there were two key members of the football club who knew about the affairs and didn't do anything to help Rebecca out with that. And so it makes a lot more sense at the end of this episode, why it is that she's going to use the club as the thing that she destroys her ex-husband with because she wants to destroy the club a little bit too. The club also betrayed her. She dedicated her life to the club and they didn't stick up for her. And so I think it makes the choice of Ted a little more interesting too. Yes. She was going outside the box and she was hoping to find something that was so buffoonish that people would pay attention to it before the club imploded. But she was also getting somebody who had nothing to do with soccer whatsoever as the implementation for the destruction of her club. Like mm-hmm. in a weird way, she didn't want any more collateral damage than she absolutely had to take, but she was going to get back at the, she was going to fire the coach who knew everything that was going on, who she hated. And she's going to use Higgins to get back at her ex-husband and destroy the club before she lets him go. Like the, the I don't think any of these choices. This is are not a new concept. Though. Yeah. This is major league. I mean, this is, we've seen this before right. the owner that wants to destroy their, their, their own thing. It's just handled so differently. It's a slow boil with with Higgins. It's a slow boil with uh, how she's going to get back at Rupert. And I just want to call out that I think it's just masterful that it's so easy to write a caricature stooge. It's just so easy to write like a, you know, the sidekick that I, I'm thinking about like Silicon Valley. There are a couple of them that, you know, they don't have much mm-hmm. of a story. They don't have much of a, a reason. They're just mm-hmm. this weird sycophant that always does what the bad guy says. There's a maturity to this show. And again, not a word I find myself using about comedies, even comedy I love, right? Oh, that was, that was awfully mature. But here I find myself going, no, no, really, this is a, like, there's a maturity to it. I think the point you were making, boss, where it's like, yeah, like, you guys screwed me and bros before, before hoes, right? Like, mm-hmm. kind of like thinking and, and the ugly ways we express it because it's ugly in the first place. I think she's like, yeah, you can all get, you know, if, if a couple stray, uh, if a couple stray splinters hit you, Higgins, well, so be it. <laughs> yeah, know, she's not going to lose any. Fair enough. Right. right. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, so they drive away and then um, presumably drops them off. Um, that's the first time you, I've been calling Nathan Nate the Great uh, just because I'm used to it, but that's the first time he calls Nate, Nathan Nate the Great. They drop him off and that little cozy neighborhood that they shot around Richmond Green. It's funny because you'll see like on social media, you'll see people in London complaining that like England doesn't look like that and there's not that much sunlight or nice weather. Beard, before before they go into their separate apartments, Beard gives them the five bucks for Into Touch. Ted's welcome basket says, welcome to Coach Tim Lasso. It's just such a great running gag. (laughs) That's so little respect. (laughs) Welcome, Coach Tim Lasso. He pulls a bag of hula hoops out of the basket and he snacks on them. And he's, you know, you see him walking through his, his whole his new apartment. It's it's very. Um, I don't know if they intended this, but I felt very lonely in that moment watching it. He's just like, okay, he's he's arrived, mm-hmm. but it was 
empty and lifeless and um, silent. So he unpacks, he showers, he decides to call home. And this is like a huge no-no in TV writing, which is like the, the shot of one guy talking on a the phone. They, people just, uh, you know, never makes it to, to, to air because it's, a, it's visually so boring to see one person talking. But Sudeikis kills it. He just kills it. It feels real. The kid says, I love you before he says, I love you. He says, I love you too, buddy. He talks to the wife and it goes from like him being, you know, just sort of upbeat and excited and, and you know, let's just catch up and let me talk. He's got no one to tell like, Hey, how was your day? How, you know, it's, mm-hmm. especially it's, it's one thing if you're single and you haven't had that. It's another thing if you've mm-hmm. built a life with someone or several someone's and. And then you have that moment of silence and quiet and it's just you on your own again, maybe not, not by choice. And that really resonated with me. Thinking about it now, specifically that word lonely, I feel like that is the first time we've seen anyone by themselves completely in a moment. Interestingly, we meet him in the most alone of moments coming out of that bathroom, right? That like it's kind of where we meet him. He was alone, and he sort of joins us, and we go through this whole adventure, and then we 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 leave him alone. But it is deeply. I, I found the the harshest moment in his conversation calling home when he says, "I love you." You don't have to say it, but when they talk about the space, and obviously she said to him essentially like, "Oh no, we need this space," and he makes this face that's like. If you say so, that's what I got out of it. Right. And I think that part of why you can get away with this one side of a conversation in a way that you don't want to have that going on in most pieces is there's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Him teaching himself not to say I love you. Him, right? Oh, like, he, oh boy, so I can't much. even say come visit me. My right. God, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I just found myself going. Oh, so the lonely actually I found him lonelier on the phone calling home and certainly talking to her than I did in the shower right like, he, like yeah, there oh, was God, something yeah. about trying to touch someone else and having them say don't touch me that was lonelier than being alone yeah if one of the things that got me the, the shower felt pretty lonely but it was uh, actually the scene before then when he was figuring out the time difference mm, so mm-hmm. that he knew what he need how much time he needed to kill before it would be time to call home mm-hmm. that that yeah, one seems good point. pretty yeah. rough and then what i loved ending it with a uh, writing a phone call i should say from just one side is always tricky jason sudeikis did an amazing job yeah I loved that they ended this episode where he seemed relentlessly optimistic about being able to accomplish what he had come to the country to do with the failure that he had had because of the ways that he had been previously. When you seem as optimistic and ready to tackle anything and ego-free as Ted is, the question is like, what could possibly be going wrong in your life? And the answer is sometimes people get tired of that. Like obviously the things that he's doing in his professional life aren't translating well in his personal life, which is why he's in the apartment by himself to begin with. Right. And that's hard. That's, that's that's tricky writing Yeah, (laughs) and to not make it feel overwhelming and like to 
get that tone exactly right. God, they're so good. There's a, there's a version of this and a, a far less interesting version and, and a version we probably wouldn't make a podcast about where you love those kids so much. And if you could show them the love you, if you could show our son the love you show your players, right? Like there's like that. Yes. And I've, I've seen it. But right. Like, it's a bad choice. There, there something, they don't make any of those, right? those terrible. Like Ted's not a drunk. No. He doesn't have a drink. Right. It's like, it's like that's the, that's the old standby. Like, oh, he's a drunk or she's a drunk. Nope, nobody's a drunk. It just wasn't the right person. Like it just didn't work out. It, there's, it's like such a, it's, first of all, it's a gutsy choice. It's hard to write. It just makes you feel like appreciated as an audience member because you're like, thank you for not treating me like a moron and just giving them some baloney sort of, you know, fault because you have to have your protagonist get over something. The final piece for me there with him though was, that he still marches forward, right? So Absolutely. he doesn't say, fine, if you don't want me to say I love you, I won't, right? You know, it's not that either. I think there's something about- Right, and Jesus it, it Christ, I've done everything you've asked. Time. Like, what the hell? Like, right, none yeah, of that. Right? Yeah, but he, but he, but he's going to press forward. The next convert, he's, when it's time to call home again, he's going to call- Hey, how y'all doing? Again. Like, he's- <laughs> everything. Yeah, that's it. Right. And, and also, he's let's a, just say, like, how amazing it is that he's somehow not Ned Flanders, too, inside of this. That's like, it's I, amazing. A hundred percent. And I wonder with that mustache, if they if there even was some thought of Ned Flanders in the create, like what he does in his, that I think is magical with all of that is if you're Keely telling him, you know, hey, by the way, hashtag dick is you or whatever it is, is he's the, he's not there to win Twitter. He's there to build a football team. He's not there. Like, is he though? He's, he's not there. On the he's phone actually to convince there. His mind. He's actually there to yes, theoretically, right? It's yes, he's there to build a football team. But he, it's almost like he doesn't even. That's an ancillary goal. He's there to change the lives of the men on that team and make them all better. Well, yes, and then yes. in in accordance with that, as as a byproduct of that change, you know they will be better at football and everything else. And it's just kind of fascinating. It's like, I'm trying to figure out how, if you, if you use the Ned Flanders model, is it like, what if Ned Flanders was smart or what if Ned Flanders was a Buddhist or what, like, what is the thing where they take out an element of Ned Flanders, uh, like trusting in, in, a higher, in a higher power or something the way he does, but still have all the niceness and good, good natured feelings of Ned Flanders. It's just, I don't know. I think it's awareness. And I think that plays into the Buddhism piece and that plays into some of the other things that you're talking about. It's awareness. It's, it's not, I don't, Ted gets it. Ted gets what's going on. Ted gets why Roy just said that. When Roy walks out, he could have gone, can you believe he talked to me like that? Yeah, he believes it. He knows what he's up against. Like, <laughs> he's just aware. Like he just, and he just keeps going anyway. I think there's something about the fool, you know, fools rush in. He's not a fool rushing in. And I think that's part of what's powerful and what makes you go, all right, I'll keep watching. Like, what's this guy doing? Right. He's also got a if, lot of Columbo yeah. to him where he's, he's always mm-hmm. sort of just, just downplaying. He's not, he's not asserting his power in a way that we're familiar with. Correct. Yeah. And I think the awareness is the difference between Ned and Ted to a large extent, but it is also the power aspect. He doesn't need to flex his power because he's confident enough in his ability to work with people in order to sort of win them over to his side. 
but he isn't unaware of his power and he isn't willing to not take on that responsibility. I, I love like being, yes. being You're 100% right. Like there is a responsibility in being a leader and he takes that very seriously. And he's not, Flanders is as nice as Rebecca is, but he doesn't really mean it. He's not going to stand up for people. Mm. And you're right about that. Have you ever, either one of you ever seen a documentary called the smashing machine? It was an old, it was an old documentary about like, like fighters, like UFC fighters in in the early, early days of the UFC, whatever. And I was always amazed because after the fight, they would all get together and no one acted like a tough guy. These guys were so tough. My God. Like I shudder thinking about like how, how <laughs> brutal and strong and just like these guys were oxen and you'd mm-hmm. have them talking after the match. They'd be like drinking water. They weren't like getting hammered and being stupid. I mean, some of them were definitely on drugs and that sort of thing, but they would just right. have guys like drinking uh, water after the fight and going, Oh my God, when you ripped my ear off, that was so awesome. And you're like, Oh my God, there's no. There was no toxicity to the masculinity because they didn't have to prove to anyone. Just like what what Coach was saying before, it's not performative. They know they're the toughest. They know it. There is no dissension in the ranks among that. Everybody knows these are the toughest men. And Ted somehow knows, like, I got this. I I know how to coach. And and I don't have to make big, grandiose performances. And I don't have to make a show of it. I don't have to flex any authority ever. Because I have an inherent authority that will will come to the surface uh, when it's supposed to come to the surface. It's just kind of fascinating. Yeah, um, I will add to that that uh, professional arm wrestling, if you can watch any of that, is very much the same and hysterical because the Mm. big tough guys will all of the showmanship before they get up there. And then immediately after, they always hug and congratulate each other and say what a great job the other one did. And it's yeah, no, it's my favorite. It's my favorite it's part usually, of hockey. My favorite thing in hockey oh, is these guys will just mm. maul each other for, for hours, like in a big playoff matchup, and then they all line up like we did when we were eight, and they shake hands. They just right. skate past each other, and everybody shakes hands, pats each other on the chest. You never see a fight in those lines. You never see anybody holding grudges. If you're the toughest, you don't have to act like it. By the way, in terms of being your true self, it's a very Buddhist thing or whatever. If you're the toughest, you don't have to act like it. I think that's that's what's at the core of all this. And if you're the smartest, you don't have to act like this. He could say, listen to me. I turned around a program and they were nothing when I got there. And in one season, we were champions. But he's like, I don't have to do that. I don't. How, how <laughs> I'm going to read my yeah. I'm going to read my Kerouac and do my How thing. does it apply if you're not the toughest? That's what I wonder. How does it apply if you're Higgins? Because I think then if you're Higgins, you have to learn to embrace who you actually are. You did make that choice and can you can you figure out how to make peace and how to do maybe a better job by other people when you do it next time? But like you know, there've been moments I took crap from a boss because I needed to hold on to that job. My kids got to eat, mm-hmm. man. I can't, I can't be getting caught up in this guy's got a bad attitude. I remember working here. I was with a Yale degree and I needed to get to California and I was as f- broke as broke could be. I could barely make it to New York from Connecticut, never mind to California. And I had to go do this temp job. And you would think, with a Yale degree, I could at least qualify to answer phones. And instead I was carrying pipe in the sun 
literally with a guy I would take by the methadone clinic before we got to work in the morning. That is true. <laughs> and and I'm taking crap from this guy who's talking to me like I'm an, an I'll say indentured servant to not let this get too ugly. And 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 and, and the whole time I'm just like it's okay. This is gas money. That's right. Every hour that passes, I'm getting the gas money I need to get to California. I could knock this guy out. I could also totally demolish him intellectually. I'm going to do neither of those things because I got to get to California. And I think there's a, I think if Higgins could appreciate, I think Higgins could tap into that in himself. And that's what Ted would help him do. And if Ted, and if Ted were there with you, he would have. He would have made sure you you stayed the course and ended up many mm-hmm. years later talking about the Ted Lasso show in a podcast. That's it. That's it. That's it. absolutely right. Okay, so we are we are good. If people are going to follow you, boss, where do they follow you? How can they find you? Oh, they can find me usually retweeting other people and occasionally accosting Mitt Romney on Twitter. <laughs> there you go. What is your What is your God's Twitter? Work. It is dumbly chambers. And that, that does, it is dumb. There is the word dumb in there. D U M I L Y chambers. And what about you, coach? At OG Bishop uh, on Twitter. And uh, for those of you who are truly of the Gen X target of this show, uh, just my name on Facebook and happy to friend you. So there you go. That's all I got. <laughs> awesome. Instagram, all of it. Love it. it. BK2LA on on Instagram. BK, the number two LA. BK2LA on Instagram. Got it. I'm at Lord Castleton on Twitter. Okay, thank you for sticking with us through this this exploration of Ted Lasso, season one, episode one, the pilot episode. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe. Coach and boss, if we see each other in our dreams, why don't we goof around a little bit and pretend like we don't know each other? The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and The Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.